Back during the founding of our country, during the bloody revolution against the tyranny of England, there was a man named Thomas Paine who wrote a powerful pamphlet called Common Sense to inspire the patriots. He wrote in that pamphlet, those who expect to reap the benefits of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. Welcome to the Freedom Revival. I'm Bruce, your host. The Freedom Revival is a show here on America Out Loud Talk Radio where we discuss timely news and events that concern anyone who loves life, liberty, and freedom. You can find America Out Loud Talk Radio on the iHeartRadio network. You can also listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best in-class apps available for Apple, Android, and Alexa, where we stream 24-7. And now you can even hear our shows on demand via podcast on those very same apps. To find out more, search for America Out Loud News in your web browser. Now, let's get down to business. Today's show, I'm going to discuss uh, a few things that I think are important. We're going to talk about things natural and unnatural. We're going to talk about natural born and not so natural. We're going to talk about some of the uh, people that we're seeing presented in front of us who may not be exactly what they seem to be. Now, let's talk a little bit about the idea. Does anybody know what it means to be natural born? I bet you think you do. Most people think they do. I have conversations with people on this all the time, and um, they give me a variety of answers, but most of them think they know what it means to be natural born. Well, do you know that one who is running or becoming uh, serving as president must be a natural born citizen of the United States? Did you know that? Perhaps you did. It's in the Constitution. In fact, it's in Article 2 of the Constitution. Um, what does it take to be president? Let's see. Seems like most people, maybe you, maybe not, but most people, and even members of Congress, and attorneys from law schools, and judges, and law professors, don't seem to know. If you think you merely have to be a citizen, or be born here, please be aware that it may not be that simple. Those who equate, equate citizen with natural-born citizen often don't understand the difference between natural law and statutory law, and often they wrongly conflate the two. Statutory citizenship law means that Congress can only pass laws defining the manner and process in which one becomes a citizen either a citizen by birth or a naturalized citizen. Those are the types of citizens that Congress can control the process over. So if you come to this country from another place and you want to become a citizen, Congress has a law for that. If you are born on the soil 
and you want to be a citizen, but your parents are not citizens, Congress has a law for that. Uh, if you're born abroad to a U.S. citizen parent uh, and a foreign national, Congress has a law for that. If you're born abroad to two citizen parents, Congress has a law for that. Those are statutory citizenship laws, okay? Some of those are even governed by the immigration and naturalization laws. But Congress cannot define or control the manner and process, which is called the constitutional concept of natural-born citizenship, because that's a legal term of art. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Of course, they don't need to. The words aren't very vague, are they? They're pretty simple. There's three words, natural, born, citizen. They have concise meanings, and they have the same meaning now as they did back then. Let me give you some background. Article 2, Section 1, Clause 5 of the U.S. Constitution says, no person except a natural-born citizen or a citizen of the United States at the time of the adoption of this Constitution shall be eligible to the office of president. Neither shall any person be eligible to that office who shall not have attained to the age of 35 years and has been 14 years a resident within the United States. So let's break it down. You have to be a natural-born citizen, or you have to be a citizen of the United States at the time of the adoption of the Constitution. Well, that part is expired, okay? They were referring to themselves, and I'll get to that. I'll tell you why they added that clause, okay? They grandfathered themselves in for a reason, all right? But no person except the natural-born citizen. Okay, that, so that's the thing. The first thing is natural-born citizen. The second thing, to be eligible for president, okay, you must have attained the age of 35 years or greater. Okay, so you have to be over 35. Pretty simple. And the third thing is you have to be at least 14 years a resident of the United States. Okay, sounds pretty simple, right? Recognizing the constitutional limitations of the natural-born citizen clause, there have been numerous failed attempts in recent years by Democrats and Republicans alike to amend, change, or even remove the Article II natural-born citizen clause. Isn't that strange? I'll tell you a little bit about those. In January of 1975, it was January 14th, 1975, Democrat House Representative Jonathan B. Bingham, who was from New York, introduced a constitutional amendment under H.J.R. 33, which called for the outright removal of the natural-born requirement for president found in Article 2 of the Constitution. Why would they do that? Think about it. That piece of legislation provides that a citizen of the United States otherwise eligible to hold the office of president shall not be ineligible because such citizen is not a natural-born citizen. They were just trying to take it right out of the Constitution pretty boldly. June 11, 
2003. Democrat House member Vic Snyder, Arizona, introduced H.J.R. 59 in the 108th Congress of the United States. Constitutional Amendment makes a person who's been a citizen of the United States for at least 35 years and who's been a resident at least 14 years eligible to hold the office of president or vice president. Nothing about natural-born citizenship. They just want to push that right out of the way. September 3rd, 2003. Democrat Representative John Conyers in Michigan. Now, there's a familiar name. He introduced H.J.R. 67. Constitutional Amendment makes a person who has been a citizen of the United States for at least 20 years eligible to hold the office of president. That's the only requirement, folks, 20 years of residency. Wipes out all the other two requirements. All right, so that's Conyers. September 15th, 2004, Republican representative, a Republican, Dana Rohrabacher, California, introduced H.J.R. 104, Constitutional Amendment makes eligible for the office of the president non-native-born persons who have held U.S. citizenship for at least 20 years and who are otherwise eligible to hold such office, whatever that means. February 28, 2008, Democrat Claire McCaskill introduces S-2678. Co-sponsors are Senator Barack Obama, Senator Hillary Clinton, Senator Robert Menendez. Now, there's a cast of characters for you. Children of Military Families of Natural Born Citizen Act. Children of Military Families Natural Born Citizen Act. Okay, that's what it's called. A bill to change the law to ensure that children born to the United States citizens that are serving overseas in the military are eligible to become president by making them into natural-born citizens when they are normally not seen as natural-born citizens. Okay, and I'll get into that. None of these above attempts, none of these attempts that I just mentioned to you succeeded. All of them failed. None of them were passed. But if all the citizens born here are natural-born citizens, You know, some people say, you talk to them and they say, well, I know what it means to be a natural-born citizen. Just a citizen. You're just born here. You're born here. You're a natural-born citizen. Same thing. Hmm. Okay. But if all of these citizens, if if all it takes, (laughs) if all citizens born here are natural-born citizens, then what would be the need for these proposed changes? What would be the need? Why are these people making changes? If all citizens born here are natural-born citizens, why did the founders add the word natural to the clause? Why didn't they just say all-born citizens? Well, (laughs) they did. Actually, they tried. They debated that. I'll get to that in a minute. According to Article 2, Section 1, Clause 5 of the U.S. Constitution, A candidate for the presidency must be a natural-born citizen, that is, a second-generation American, 
a U.S. citizen whose parents were also U.S. citizens at the time of the candidate's birth. Did you know that? They actually debated that in the First Continental Congress, and they rejected people that are simply born as citizens as being eligible to serve as president. Why do you think they did that? John Jay said they wanted a stricter criterion. John Jay was our first Supreme Court justice, by the way. So the fact that there's a difference between citizen and natural-born citizen has been clear since the writing of the U.S. Constitution on September 17, 1787, and its ratification by the first U.S. Congress on June 21, 1788. A first draft of what would become Article 2, Section 1, Clause 5, submitted by Alexander Hamilton to the Constitutional Convention on June 18, 1787, stated, are you ready for this? Hamilton wanted it to say this. He wanted it to say, no person shall be eligible to the office of president of the United States unless he be now a citizen of one of the states or hereafter born a citizen of the United States. That's what Hamilton wanted. Fearing foreign influence on the president and commander-in-chief of the American military, our first, our, our first U.S. Supreme Court justice, actually he was the future first U.S. Supreme Court justice, John Jay, he was the Supreme Court justice-to-be uh, chief justice. Uh, he said on July 25, 19, uh, 1787, he asked the Constitutional Convention's presiding officer directly. He That was George Washington, by the way. He, he sent a letter to George Washington, and we have a copy of the letter. Uh, and he said he urged George Washington not to recommend Alexander Hamilton's suggestion that only a born citizen or one who is now a citizen should be president of the United States, eligible to be president. And he said that it would strengthen the requirements for the presidency by doing so. Here are the exact words John Jay wrote in his letter to George Washington. And I quote, Permit me to hint whether it would be wise and seasonable to provide a strong check to the admission of foreigners into the administration of our national government and to declare expressly that the commander-in-chief of the American army shall not be given to nor devolve on any but a natural-born citizen. Natural-born citizen. The term natural-born citizen was lifted straight out of the political treaties. By the way, close quote. Uh, the term natural-born citizen was lifted straight out of the political uh, philosophy treaties, the Law of Nations which was written by Emmerich de Vittel in the mid-1700s. This textbook was uh, about forming a constitutional republic. It was the leading guide textbook reference source at the time for anyone who wanted to form a constitutional republic. And this is exactly what our founding fathers were trying to do. So they bought this big, fat book written in French, okay? It was published in Paris. Uh, the publisher's name was Dumas. I know a lot about this, folks. 
Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Benjamin Franklin ordered four copies of it. Um, you know, George Washington checked a copy out of the library and never returned the book. It's still in his library in, um, in his, uh, in his, uh, beautiful mansion outside of Washington. Okay. So, um, here we go. You know, how do we know that it was there at the constitutional conventions how do we know that they got the term from the law of nations the term natural born citizen well benjamin franklin said so in a letter to the bush books publisher uh so if all presidents had to be second generation american citizens born on the soil to two citizen parents how could the new nation feel the president might occur to you say if everybody had to be born a second generation citizen I mean, some of the founders at the time of the Constitution were born abroad. Most of them, many of them in England. Many of them had foreign parents. So they didn't have citizen parents. They had foreign parents. And every single one of them were foreign subjects of England right up to the signing of the Constitution. So where are they going to get the first president from or the next couple of presidents? Well, the founders thought of that, too. And they included the grandfather clause on that's uh, located in article two and here's what the grandfather clause says the term or a citizen of the united states at the time of the adoption of this constitution so you must be a natural born citizen or a citizen at the time of the signing of the constitution the adoption of the constitution see what they did there they made them all themselves who became instant citizens when the constitution was ratified they made anyone alive at the time of the signing of the constitution that became a new citizen of the united states was initially eligible eligible to be president but after all that generation died you had to be born to two citizens of the united states and born on the soil of the nation you know they were referring to all loyal americans who lived in the 13 colonies, who risked their lives and their their livelihoods and their families and their farms and everything else in the Revolutionary War, who became citizens of the United States on ratification of the Constitution. So our founders established the first generation of United States citizens upon which all future natural-born citizens would be created. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? The founders under that grandfather clause in Article 2, allowed for all original U.S. citizens to be immediately eligible to become president. After that generation died, the grandfather clause died with it and became null and void, and then only the progeny of citizens would be eligible for president. The progeny today, by the way, is roughly 75% of our population. So we got a big field to choose from, now we got to figure out who's qualified. As understood by the founders and as applied to the U.S. Constitution, the term natural-born citizen derived its meaning far less from English common law, as some of these Harvard Law professors would say, than from uh, Emmerich D. Vattel's Law of Nations. You can read his book, The Law of Nations, it's in, uh, I believe, Chapter 9, Section 212. Um, they knew 
from reading Vitell that a natural-born citizen had a different, higher standard from just citizen. For he or she was born in the country to two citizen parents. That's Vitell, Section 212. That is also the same definition of a natural-born citizen, which was recognized and cited in numerous U.S. Supreme Court and lower court decisions and dictum. I'll just run down the cases. There's the Venus, 12 U.S. 253, and that was in 1814. There was Shanks versus DuPont, 28 U.S. 242, that was in 1830. There was Scott versus Sanford, 60 U.S. 393, that was in 1856. There was Minor versus Happersett, 88 U.S. 162, that was in 1865. There was a case called Ex Parte Reynolds, 20 F period Cass 582, CCWD ARC 1879. I don't know what all those abbreviations mean, but you can look that up. United States versus Ward, 42 F 320, 1890. And finally, there was Wong Kim Ark, 169 U.S. 649, and that was in 1898. Uh, oh, there's one more, Ludlam Executrix and C.V. Ludlam, 26 New York 356, 1863. And there were some others, too. I mean, you can find references to uh, Natural Born Citizen and Vattel's uh, passage saying that the definition of a natural-born citizen is a someone born on the soil to two citizen parents. I mean, there are, um, you know, we're, we're talking about the framers and authors. The framers and authors of the Civil Rights Act of 1866, there was a, a Civil Rights Act, by the way, it was, uh, it was um, uh, blocked and uh, not voted on by the uh, Democrats. Uh, the 14th Amendment, let's let's talk about that. Um, the 14th Amendment, uh, the Naturalization Act of 1795, uh, there was a Naturalization Act of 1798, the Naturalization Act of 1802, the Naturalization Act of 1885, and even our modern 8 U.S.C. Section 1401, they all cite this definition as well. So people say, well, you know, the Constitution doesn't define natural... You're not going to find, it's not a dictionary. The Constitution's not a dictionary, okay? If you want to look up a, words in a dictionary, look up natural. See what it means. It means not artificial, not man-made. Look up born. Born refers to the advent of birth and sometimes the place of your birth. What about citizen? Citizen is the special status conferred upon you when you are living in a place, born in a place, naturalized in a place, uh, inherited from your parents a citizenship. It could be any of any or all of the above. So um, the three words have meaning. Now, there are lots of historical arguments, uh, probably far too numerous to include in this short discussion, which explains why the definition of natural-born subject as found in English common law that the um, 
the Harvard law professors and, uh, you know, Larry tribe and those guys in, in his tribe up there in Boston. Uh, he, they love to cite, uh, you know, they love to cite blacks, uh, law dictionary and, uh, you know, the English common law. Um, but that wasn't the basis of natural born citizenship in the United States. Sounds similar, natural born subject. You see, Great Britain was a monarchy. Anybody born to a British man as a parent was considered a subject of Britain wherever on the planet that person was born. You owed homage and your allegiance to the King of England. The new nation was breaking that chain. The new nation said no more subjects we're not subjects of any crown we're sovereign human beings okay our only our only um our only uh guide or our only uh supreme being is god god gives us our natural rights not the king the king does not have a special relationship with god he's not appointed by god John Locke made that clear. If you read John Locke, you'll find some very interesting things. Um, you know, monarchy and subjugation to a monarch or a king was being violently revoked and rejected by our founders in a bloody revolution, an armed insurrection against existing government, against the rule of King George. The founders therefore, sought to make their own common law, not English common law, American common law. That means our standard operations and practices, and that is independent and distinct from English common law. I don't care what Larry Tribe from Harvard says. They used ancient Greek philosophy, a little bit of that, quite a bit of that, as well as 18th century Enlightenment philosophy, maybe some Renaissance philosophy, to forge the law. Okay? That's what they used. We know this because all the central founders had well-used copies of Vittel's book in their library. We know this because records show George Washington actually checked a copy of Vitell's Law of Nations out of the library before the Constitutional Conventions, and he never returned the book. It's still in Mount Vernon, as I said before. We know this because Ben Franklin ordered three copies of Vitell's Law of Nations from Monsieur DuPont in the general original French language for use at the Constitutional Conventions. His correspondence with Mr. DuPont says so. If you have not read Vittel, The Law of Nations, you simply do not have an educated enough and informed opinion on this issue to debate it, period. So, legal precedent and interpretation leave no doubt regarding the meaning of natural-born citizen. Well, it's time for a break right now. So, um, when we come back, I'm going to discuss how all this applies in what we're seeing happen now in the United States of America. And come right back. Stay stay where you are right now. And uh, we look forward to having you come back and listen to the second half of the show.
envision the world one person at a time. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. 
Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. In 2008, people could spend an average of 12 seconds on a task without becoming distracted. Five years later, it was only eight seconds. The digital age is narrowing our attention span. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top, shoot it down. Thousands of five-star reviews proves it works. Supercharge your brain and see the difference. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Okay, folks, we're back. Welcome to the Freedom Revival. My name is Bruce, and we've been talking about uh, presidential eligibility, which I think is a very important topic in light of all the things that have been going on and the people that have been put before us um, and uh, proffered as eligible to be the commander-in-chief of the United States military and the chief executive of our country. So um, let's just get right into it. Uh, there's a there's a few things that I'd like to um, note and make very uh, specific. And I'll start with an article that I um, that I pulled up uh, that comes from September of 2008. So as recently as 2008, in September, in a Michigan Law Review article entitled "Originalism." and the Natural Born Citizen Clause, Lawrence B. Solemn, then the John E. Cribbett Professor of Law at the University of Illinois College of Law, wrote, I quote, What was the original public meaning of the phrase that establishes the eligibility for the office of President of the United States? There is a general agreement on the core of its meaning. Anyone born on American soil, whose parents are citizens of the United States, is a natural-born citizen. Notice, parents. He says parents. That's plural. What he's saying is something that I've found in my research over the many years that I've studied this. Uh, I studied um, I studied constitutional law with a federal chief justice. Uh, he was actually going to be up for um, uh, Supreme Court. He wasn't a Supreme Court Chief Justice, but he was a federal judge and Chief Justice. And uh, he was up for Supreme Court, and he decided to uh, instead retire and teach. He had such a passion for teaching, and he was one of the most wonderful professors I've ever had. Uh, so his, his, um, his take on it was very similar to this. He taught us a lot about constitutional law and the original intent of our founding fathers. So I'll I'll offer this up to you. Just as the presidential oath of office is unique. It says preserve, protect and defend the constitution. 
It's a very unique term of art. Just as that is unique, the eligibility requirements for our president are equally unique. To ensure allegiance and prevent foreign influence at the highest levels of government, particularly the office of commander-in-chief, this is an important topic, folks. It's a very important topic. And we should ask ourselves, why wouldn't we and the founders want this strong check against foreign interference in our government as the primary requirement for our presence? Why wouldn't we want that? As a concrete example, I have to share this. I'm surprised, constantly surprised, how many people I come in contact with who think that all you need to do is be born here to be a natural-born citizen. I'm additionally surprised that people I come in contact with think Nikki Haley could be a viable vice president or presidential candidate. I'm surprised they think she's eligible. I'm really surprised that they think Vivek Ramaswamy is eligible. I'm additionally surprised that they think Ted Cruz was eligible, or Marco Rubio, or Bobby Jindal, or John McCain, or Barack Obama, or Kamala Harris. I'm here to tell you, folks, that none of these people are natural-born citizens under the strict definition that was intended by our founders and codified in Article Two of the Constitution of the United States. That's a pretty bold statement, I understand. But we have to wake up to this. This is important. Our security, our national security, uh, foreign influence in our government is is at a peak. I mean, we have we have people taking money from China, people taking money from Ukraine at the highest levels of our government. Okay. Where are their loyalties? We don't want someone in the office of chief executive and commander-in-chief to have any loyalties elsewhere. Wake up, folks. The Constitution of the United States requires our president to be a natural-born citizen. That's three words, natural-born citizen. Most people just key in on the born word. They say, oh, born, no, natural-born citizen, that means just they're born here. They couldn't be further from the truth. Words have meaning, and our founding fathers didn't mince words. They were very careful with their word selection. Words have the power over life and death. It says so in the Bible. So let's let's look at this a second. Natural born citizen. Now, citizen, born citizen, natural born citizen. Born citizen is a subset of citizenship. Natural born citizen is a subset of born citizens. See how that works? Not all citizens are born citizens, and not all born citizens are natural born citizens. Now, I know it seems like one of those uh, those word uh, questions you had in math that you hated when you were in school, but... Uh, you know, to be a citizen of the United States, you must either be naturalized or be made a statutory citizen by a statute 
or by an act of Congress. That citizenship is not automatic, and it doesn't occur naturally. It takes an act of Congress or a statute to make that happen. That's a man-made citizen. People are made citizens who aren't naturally citizens. You get where I'm going with this? The word citizen has a meaning. It's a status conferred upon someone due to a combination of these things or, or, or one, of, one or all of these things. Where you're born, whether your parents were citizens, whether there was an act available for you to gain citizenship, whether you came to a country as an alien and were able to naturalize as a citizen, or whether you were born to perhaps a parent abroad. To be a born citizen, you have to be born on U.S. soil, regardless of the parent's citizenship. Okay? That's um, that's uh, the modern liberal interpretation and twisting of the 14th Amendment. Okay? And we'll get into that uh, maybe in a different show. We'll, uh, we'll dive into the 14th Amendment, which is being tossed around for many reasons right now. But uh, to be a born citizen, you have to be born on U.S. soil, regardless of your parents' citizenship at the time. These are also called, uh, euphemistically, they're called anchor babies when both parents are not citizens at the birth of the child, okay, at the time of the birth of the child. To be born a citizen, you must also be born to at least one U.S. citizen parent. So... Born citizen, born a citizen, okay? You may, you may also be born to at least one U.S. citizen parent anywhere in the world, okay? So that's, that's another way you could be born a citizen. But your parents must apply for your citizenship with the consulate, or you are not a citizen. There was a time in the United States where children born abroad to U.S. citizen parents were not considered citizens of the United States. Forms have to be filed. Ask anybody who had a child abroad who's an American. The State Department official, who's usually the consulate or you know some somebody at the embassy, has to validate and approve your child's citizenship. And by the way, you don't get a birth certificate. You apply for a passport. Okay, The birth certificate that child gets is a foreign birth certificate. It's not a U.S. birth certificate. Uh, it doesn't occur naturally. It's not automatic. It's statutory. It's governed by Immigration and Naturalization Service. And um, until the passage of, as I said before, until the passage of various Immigration and Naturalization Acts, children that were born abroad to U.S. citizens were not citizens. After the 1790 Act was repealed, that's the uh, 1790 Immigration and Naturalization Act, uh, after that was repealed, they weren't considered natural-born citizens. Up until the Obama administration erased the passage, uh, you know, I think under Hillary Clinton it was, when she was uh, Secretary of State under Obama. All of a sudden, I'm reading USCIS uh, handbooks and field manuals and documentation and looking up things online about citizenship, and all of a sudden the clause escapes the page. All of a sudden it's just erased, it vanishes. It's uh, very skept I'm very skeptical about why they took that out because it used to say that if you're born abroad 
to U.S. citizen parents or you're born abroad in an embassy or you're born abroad um, in the military at a military base, you're not considered a natural-born citizen of the United States. It used to say that, right, in the USCIS field manual. Um, so people don't understand that military bases and embassies are not technically U.S. soil. They are leased from the host country. So although our military has some jurisdiction over the confines of the base and our embassy has some jurisdiction over the confines of the embassy, in fact, they are not considered U.S. soil for the purpose of natural-born citizenship. That's kind of hard for some people to digest, I know, but it's true. So, there's one thing that's never been disputed, and that is, in order to become a natural-born citizen, you merely need to be born on the soil of the nation within our 50 states to parents who have already attained their citizenship. Now, they don't have to be natural-born. They could be naturalized citizens. They can attain citizenship in all the various ways that are available to uh, foreigners who come to attain citizenship. But if they're green card holders and you're born on the soil of our nation, you're not a natural-born citizen, no matter how you slice it, not according to the original intent of the Founding Fathers. Citizenship, you see, natural citizenship, is naturally inherited from the soil you're born on and the parents you were born to. It's inalienable. It's irrefutable. In fact, it's the only type of citizenship that occurs naturally. All other citizenship is via statute or naturalization legislation. So, in essence, it's all statutory, man-made. Natural means not man-made. To be a natural-born citizen, you must simply be born on the soil of this nation, of our nation, to one citizen father and one citizen mother. There's no special paperwork. There's no application. You don't need any artificial or man-made means. You don't need an act of Congress. You don't need a statute. Just two citizen parents at birth and a birth certificate issued by a hospital in one of the 50 states. Natural means not man-made. Natural means not artificial. Our founding fathers, as I said, did not mince words. Nor were they prone to superfluous use of words that had no meaning. They understood natural citizens to be the progeny of citizens, not foreigners, not tourists, not aliens here illegally, citizens. If not, otherwise, the United States, you know, the United States may be their place of birth, but it is not their nationality. When somebody comes here as a foreigner, their nationality is the nationality of their nation, where they come from. It's not here. The United States is not their nationality. It may be the place of their location. It may be the place of the birth of their children, but it's not their nationality. You inherit your nationality from your parents until your parents convert their nationality and, and take an oath of loyalty to the United States. That's how you become a citizen. This is not a melting pot, folks. This is a forge. The United States is a forge. 
We mold people into citizens. And the way we do it, they have to renounce their citizenship and become a citizen of the United States. The nationality of the baby is the nationality of its parents. Nationality also implies obligations and often loyalties. Now think about this. Could somebody be eligible to be our president and commander of our military if they were simultaneously born a subject of another nation? And perhaps under that nation's laws, they were subject to being drafted into an army of an enemy nation. Who has jurisdiction in that case? What happens if we disallow anyone born here to become president, and that person becomes president, but they it turns out that they were a subject of another nation as well when they were born, and, you know, they get to be 35 years old or so, and they, they, they're eligible for president, and by some stroke of, of luck or, or uh, fortuitousness, they get elected president. What happens? Well, can they be drafted by the other nation? Can they suddenly be called into service? That would create huge problems, folks. Natural means not created by man. Like natural rights, God-given rights. Natural rights are our God-given rights, inalienable, irrevocable. They were endowed in us by our creator before man created government. Government cannot take it away because it's natural. It might well be noted that natural-born citizenship is the only form of citizenship which cannot be revoked by government. Government cannot take away what they didn't grant. The only thing they didn't grant is what came naturally. Born. Let's so natural. We covered natural. It's natural born citizen, right? We covered natural. Natural means not created by man. Born refers to the location and special status of birth. In Latin, it's called jus solis. Jus solis is the law of the soil. The law of the soil. Being born is an event, and it's tied to a place. So we have natural, we have born, and then citizen. Citizen refers to the obligation of fealty conferred upon or expected from those who become contributing civil members of any nation. So let's take a look at this. Nikki Haley's parents were not citizens when she was born here. Her citizenship is only provided to her by what some say is a misreading of the 14th Amendment, an act of Congress written and expressly ex intended exclusively to naturalize the citizens of free slaves. The 14th Amendment was for slaves. It was, they, you know, it, it was during Reconstruction. They had a problem. They didn't know what to do. They had all these slaves. They were freed. Were they citizens? Were they people without countries? What about their children? So the 14th Amendment was to make that right and to make those people wave a wand and make those people citizens. Okay. It wasn't to create an open door where anybody who was pregnant could come here and drop a baby and that person would be a citizen and then they could bring the whole rest of their family, the, the whole rest of their family from wherever they came from. That, that wasn't the purpose of that. There's a process and it needs to be followed. There's a rule of law and it needs to be followed. 
Well, I'm going to bring up one more thing. John Bingham, primary author of the 14th Amendment, has confirmed that the sole purpose of the 14th Amendment was to grant birthright citizenship to the children of free slaves in the late 1800s. It was to protect the rights of native-born black Americans whose rights as recently freed slaves were being denied. That amendment was written to prevent state governments from denying citizenship to blacks born in the United States, not to grant blanket birthright citizenship to anchor babies, as it has been more recently and far too loosely translated. Without this loose and arguably dead, wrong modern translation of the 14th Amendment, and for a long time after the 14th Amendment was passed, any child born here to parents who were foreign citizens or merely residents were considered citizens and subjects of their parents' native countries, not citizens of the United States. Nikki Haley is therefore not a natural-born citizen under Article Two of the U.S. Constitution. Neither was John McCain. Neither was Barack Obama, Ted Cruz, Rubio, Jindal, Kamala Harris, and the most famous guy right now, Ramaswamy. We're not sure about his parents' status, but I don't think they were I don't think they were citizens when he was born here. None of these people are eligible to serve as president or vice president of the United States under Article Two, Section One, Clause Five of the United States Constitution. So listen. Take this into consideration. Either we have a rule of law or we don't. If we don't, we might as well toss the Constitution in the garbage. Just tear it up. As I suspect, as I suspect many people on the left and many members of the Uniparty in Washington would like to do. Folks, you can find out more about my show and get all the latest podcasts if you go to the menu navigational bar at America Out Loud under our shows or schedule, and then you'll be in the know. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.com your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We do our part to share the stories, and you can do your part by participating in the Freedom Revival. Thanks, folks. And as I always say at the end of my show, may no weapon formed against you prosper. Take that to the bank, folks. And we'll see you next time on America Out Loud with the Freedom Revival. My name is Bruce, and have a great day. Thank you.